Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm good. I'm so happy to talk to you. <laughs> I am so happy to talk to you. Hi, this like, is elated. This is going to be great. Welcome because to I everything. Because I found you and I found levels make in the middle of the... In the, the middle of the night, I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good journeys, sleeper. Finding common you know, obviously, occasionally I'll have like a middle of the night anxiety moment. So let's laugh, let's cry, get and let's get inspired to live our But I was surging blood sugar. And Levels has such incredible free information on the blog about various foods that spike blood sugar. And I think most Americans don't know how important it is to maintain your blood sugar levels. And so I'm just so excited to talk to you. <laughs> this is going to be great. Okay, so I want to start from the beginning. Of, I know that you are you know, a Stanford-trained doctor, but how did you even get into this field? Man, it was a a little bit of a, a journey. I've always been interested in nutrition, even mm-hmm. from like high school. I've really believed in the power of food, and you know, it was it was really fun when I was in college. It was sort of the personal genomics revolution. Twenty three and Me was coming online, and Human Genome Project was wrapping up, and so it was, there was it was really fun to be around that because it was sort of this new perspective of like, okay, we really understand the genome, but we also understand that like what you put in your body can change gene expression. And so it matters. It's not like we just are fated to whatever our genome says. Actually, we have a lot of agency in terms of how we express that genome. And a lot of that comes down to the food we put in our mouths. That was just really empowering to me because I thought, oh my gosh, wow, with the meals that I cook and the choices that I make, you know, it can actually sort of change this thing that we thought was sort of like our fated destiny with our genome. And then I got really into that. That's this whole field called nutrigenomics. And like how nutrition affects genetics and really looking into like how, you know, what, what is food? Food is really just like thousands of chemicals in a package, you know, and each of those chemicals have different, have different impact. And so, so that was always something that was interesting to me. Flash forward, I go to medical school and then I ultimately go into surgery. Um, and so I trained as a head and neck surgeon and and neck surgeon. Yes. Which is like sinusitis, ear disease, like tongue cancer, skin cancers of the face, like things like that. A lot of ear tubes for ear infections and little kids and tonsillitis and all that stuff. So, wow. God bless you. That is a tough job. It was, yeah, it was a really interesting experience. I was, yeah, that was basically four years after medical school, like four years of training. And, but what I kind of realized in that throughout the medical school and residency training was, you know, this whole like love of food and the the perspective of food being a really powerful tool to optimize and improve our thriving and our well being and our mental and physical health, like was not a part of the conversation. No, never. <laughs> it was just not. Would you notice that in children? Sorry to interrupt. Like the no. things that they were eating, like were affecting them negatively. 
Definitely. You know, I think we're seeing a lot of trends with children that are unfortunate. Like we're seeing um, that a lot of children now are dealing with obesity, you know, at mm-hmm. a very early age, what we used to call adult onset diabetes, we can no longer call that anymore because so many children are getting um, diabetes and this, the, not the, the type that is more uh, type one diabetes, which um, is less sort of lifestyle related. They're getting the lifestyle related diabetes. And so, you know, we're seeing fatty liver disease in children and things that we just, we know are related to food. And I think it's yet to be uncovered what the downstream manifestations of this are for development and learning and behavior. But I think a lot of parents I know can testify to the fact that when their kids eat different things, you know, they, they sometimes have different reactions in terms of how they're, um, you know, how they're acting and how they're feeling and how they're sleeping and all those things. So that's just a whole area of research that I think is going to be fascinating. But I think there's no question we're seeing the impact of food on children in monumental ways, primarily metabolically, you know, the overweight, the obesity, the the fatty liver disease, all this stuff, the early onset diabetes. And so, and unfortunately a lot of that just went up in the pandemic, you know, the rates of those things just Mm. skyrocketed in children because we were home, we were more sedentary and there was so much stress that I think, you know, led to some coping, um, you know, mechanisms through food and whatnot. And it just, we didn't, we, everything was different. And so, yeah, it's definitely showing up in kids and, you know, that really kind of, that actually was a a part of what was my journey sort of moving away from ear, nose and throat, had a neck surgery to sort of more the world of metabolic health was that I was seeing a lot of these conditions that I was treating day in and day out that were fundamentally based in, in inflammation. And, and a lot of these are actually the children, the things we see in children, like tonsillitis, sinusitis, laryngitis, like all these itises, um, any word in medicine that has itis as the suffix means like inflammation. Mm-hmm. And that was just so much of what I was seeing. And I was also sort of still staying in the like nutrition food as medicine space and really knew that so much of food can drive inflammation, you know, it can drive this signal in the body that there's like something unusual or a threat going on that gets the body on high alert. And you know, that can show up really anywhere in the body. And so it kind of made me step back and say like, interesting, like we're treating all this inflammation with surgery and with pills to decrease the immune response, like steroids or we're treating with antibiotics. Why don't we ever talk about like whether we could use some anti-inflammatory food strategies or, or even think about what inflammatory foods in the diet could be triggering this. And I, I will never forget, like, I remember there was this paper I think it was in the New England Journal of Medicine, one of the premier medical journals, and it was showing the sinus tissue, like inside the nose, really, you know, and it was showing all the inflammatory chemicals that are upregulated in sinusitis. And it was like, there's all these, you know, fancy names for them, but like TNF alpha and interleukin six and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I was just reading about how a lot of these same inflammatory mediators like can be modulated by food. Like why, where's the Venn diagram of these two things of like, here's what's happening inside of sinus. Here's what food can affect. How can we kind of like potentially merge those two worlds, but we just don't do that in Western medicine. It's like, oh, well, these inflammatory things are upregulated. Like here's a steroid. Like that's what we use for inflammation, but there's just, there's just so much more I think there, but it's really hard to do nutrition research. And so we don't do it and it doesn't make anyone a lot of money. And there's just a lot way, of factors at play. Very triggering for people. And now as a parent, I'm noticing, you know, the other day, my best friend gave my daughter a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. We went to her country club and I brought her up snacks and 
she got her peanut butter and jelly and I, you know, she's only nine months. So I said, she's never had sugar before or white bread or peanut butter (laughs) (laughs) exposed to peanuts. So I knew there wasn't an allergy and she was laughing. She was like, Oh, I'm going to be like the bad aunt that feeds her. And I thought, okay, this is like fun and funny. And then I thought to myself, okay, this is really, this is really uh, an eye opening moment for me because you don't want to be that not easy, cool parent that says you can only eat certain things. You don't want to trigger other people who feed those things to their children. I grew up eating those things, but I also had a slew of, I was pre-diabetic. I had ADD. I was medic. I was on, you know, six different medications by the time I was a senior in high school. So, I mean, that's why really I love to have these conversations. So and also, by the way, most people, you know, unfortunately live in food deserts. Yeah. So this is such an uncomfortable thing for a lot of people to talk about because it seems judgmental. Even if I say this is what I'm doing for my child, if someone else isn't doing that, it ultimately makes somebody feel like they're being judged. And so it's a heavy, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be triggering to say you should feed your child whole foods, but it's a very triggering conversation. I think that's true. I, you know, I definitely think that's true. And unfortunately, I think there's so many sort of like systems factors that play into why that's the case that are unfortunate. You know, one of them being that we are just so biased towards pharmaceuticals, you know, and we're so Mm -hmm. biased towards intervention and reaction. That's the way our healthcare system is designed. And, and I mean that very literally, like we literally build codes to like, that's how, how how doctors get paid. You like submit a code, which is like, this patient had this disease and this is what I did to them. And so like at the very fundamental level, we're like conditioned to be like, okay, patient has disease, patient gets treatment. But like that whole system, like kind of needs to be revised. So sad. I just think about people all across our country who like don't feel good and like are trusting our system and they're like sick and they're eating the wrong things and they're overly medicated. And it's, it's, I mean, it's so sad to me. It's so everybody deserves to feel good. Exactly. And I mean, not feeling good is the new normal, right? It's like, it's like a lot of people I think don't even know maybe what it feels like to feel feel great because from childhood, like I think about my own childhood, like I, it was in the nineties, you know, and it's like, I, every step of the way, like kind of, I know looking back, like my microbiome was hit. I was on antibiotics constantly, mm-hmm. you know, Always on antibiotics. I was eating a lot of the standard American. Yeah. Exa- and like, that was normal, you know? And I was on the standard American diet because like Costco and like nineties and snack wells and et cetera, et cetera, hostess cupcakes. And I was sick all the time, you know, mm-hmm. like I had ear and that was just normal to have an ear infection five times a year. And I have walking pneumonia every winter. Right. And, and literally like, didn't you just think like, Oh yeah, this is just like childhood. Like we just get sick. And like, that's just mm-hmm. the way we go to the doctor and my mom and I spend hours in the doctor's office all the time. Mm-hmm. And like, that was normal. And to like now be, you know, more very much in the functional medicine space and all that, and sort of knowing what's possible for health and, and also feeling, having now been exposed to feeling great physically. And I've gone back and forth many times in my life between feeling great and not feeling great, um, because of different circumstances, but to know that difference now Mm -hmm. it's exactly, I get, I get very emotional, like thinking everyone deserves to like have access to information that helps them thrive and feel good. And a lot of that comes down to important information around nutrition and lifestyle and things like that, that we are just not trained as doctors to convey. 
And so what's coming from up high and from these systems that we respect so much, which of course have many good features of them. Like I'm not knocking the medical system completely. If I broke my arm or got in a car crash, I absolutely would want to go to an emergency room, of Mm -hmm. course, but that day-to-day, like just how to feel incredible. Like we don't have a code for that. We don't have a billing, you know, code to sort of say like, oh, this patient's feeling suboptimal. And so I did a deep workup to kind of try and understand the nuances of what's going on and spent an hour counseling them and then gave them all these resources. Like there's no code for that. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, it's kind of just built into the system. And I think, unfortunately, one of the downstream manifestations of that is that we just don't talk about food in a healthy way. We don't know how to, we don't have enough research about it. It gets to be very contentious and it's just sort of like the downstream effect of, I think what is rooted a lot in the financial incentives, the healthcare system and a huge bias towards reacting and towards like sort of medicine and interventions being the best possible thing we could do. And then of course, just like lots of systems issues around policies that make unhealthy food much cheaper and more available. I mean, I just, one of the things that not to go too far on a tangent, but like, if there's one thing I could change today, it would be our farm bills, which is so Mm -hmm. strange as a doctor to like, to feel that way. But, you know, we spend like over $30 billion a year subsidizing the production of foods that directly cause disease, mental and physical health. That's like corn, sugar, soy, wheat, almost all of which goes towards processed refined products. During COVID, we actually made it easier to import sugar into the country because it, for the economy, you know, and it's like, these are not aligned with, with human health. And yet the government subsidizes it. And then we, as taxpayers, you know, of course pay for Mm -hmm. the healthcare ramifications of that. We, We pay for the farm bills, right. Through our taxes. Then we pay for the um, our insurance policies and, you know, we pay taxes for, for, you know, healthcare. And of course we also pay for the environmental damage of this through our, so it's like, just that awesome. is one thing I would change immediately because it, the food deserts and everything you're talking about, like these are systems issues that taxpayer money is funding. And like, that's a problem. And we've got to just like unwind all these terrible incentives that keep people, unfortunately, in a place where the easiest, most accessible, cheapest, cheapest, and best marketed thing they can find is the stuff that's going to cause disease. Like what if it was the flip side? What if we spent $31 billion subsidizing beautiful fruits and vegetables and those were everywhere? Like Mm -hmm. that's a world that could exist, but unfortunately it's, it's not there yet. So I think we've talked about this often enough on the podcast for you to know that Davide and I aren't really pot smokers, but we kind of want to (laughs) be. I think we've even done some episodes on our favorite dad grass. Dad grass is the best because if you're like us and sometimes you've just been too damn high (laughs) and it felt extremely uncomfortable. I mean, it can literally be a dangerous game and we don't always have time to play reefer roulette, right? I can't just smoke a bunch of weed until I find the right one, which is why I love dad grass. It's reviving the pleasure of the casual smoke so you can chill out without the stress. Dad grass is legal, organic, smokable hemp that relaxes your body and mellows your mind. Their 100% organic pre-rolled joints are very low in THC and very high in CBD. So you can enjoy the effects of CBD while keeping a clear head. It's the only thing that doesn't make Davide want to crawl out of his skin and lets us have a nice relaxing moment at the end of the day. 
Want the toke without the smoke? Dadgrass also has CBD tinctures made with the same high quality hemp. It's easy to dose and the effects come on smooth. Chill out without getting stoned. It's like having a glass of wine and not the whole bottle. Dadgrass products are federally legal for ages 18 and over and ships right to your door anywhere in the U.S. Whether you're looking for a new buzz or a chill way to enjoy an old favorite, Dadgrass will leave you in a euphoric mood. Right now, Dadgrass is offering our listeners 20% off your first order when you go to dadgrass.com slash best. Go to dadgrass.com slash best for 20% off your first order. That's dadgrass.com slash best. We talk often with all these amazing doctors on the podcast about not drinking your calories, right? Being aware of not taking in too much sugar in drinks. And that's why I'm here to tell you about drink sound. Drink sound is a bubbly, delicious, sparkling water for all the senses because drink sound is an unsweetened organic sparkling water that is made using tea and botanicals certified organic. And like I said, it's completely unsweetened. Drink Sound believes that the world needs more sweet people and less sweet drinks. And they also want to make a true impact. And that's why they donate a portion of all of their sales and time to organizations on the front lines to fight for better nutrition and food access, which is incredible. They create tons of amazing flavors that are more fun and unique than traditional sparkling waters like blueberry with cinnamon and hibiscus tea, grapefruit with lavender and ginger tea. It's perfect throughout the day. There are both caffeine and caffeine-free options. The cans are BPA-free, of course, and they use extracts in place of natural flavors, which is incredible. And I am so excited to let you know that if you use code PIA20, that you get 20% off your order. That's www.drinksound.com slash PIA. www.drinksound.com slash PIA for 20% off your order. It's D-R-I-N-K-S-O-U-N-D. I used to live in the East Village on 7th and Avenue D for a long time. And I loved that neighborhood, but there was a bodega on the corner and it was right next to a school. And I can't remember the name of them, but they would sell these squares and they were 50 cents and they were made of molasses and sugar. And oh God. the kids would run to the bodega after school and they would, I remember this one cute boy, I'd always see him and he would always buy a pineapple soda and one of these blocks of sugar. And I remember we were like, you know, I'd see him all the time, ended up kind of chatting with him. And I remember showing him what was in what he was eating. And I was like, maybe not every day. <laughs> like, this is really bad. But it was so sad because, you know, ultimately that's a neighbor, a neighborhood that had you know, a poorly funded public school project buildings and all the food in the neighborhood was that was being provided for the children and cheap and affordable uh, was poison. So I would love to know at what point you realized there was a connection between blood sugar levels and overall health. And can you explain that? Yeah, absolutely. So it was really, okay. So everything I'm treating is an inflammatory condition. And I know that food infects affects inflammation. And we are definitely not talking about that in my practice and then realizing, so like what drives inflammation? 
inflammation. And one of the key drivers of inflammation in the body is elevated blood sugar. Mm. And so I started sort of unpacking that a little bit more like why, and you know, when the body has these big spikes in blood sugar, which is primarily caused by what we're eating, like a big carbohydrate or refined sugar load, it causes that big spike. And that actually leads to inflammation in the body. And so that was something that was really interesting to me kind of unpacking that more. And then I started really diving into blood sugar in general. And then what I sort of realized was basically like issues with blood sugar, i.e. like elevated blood sugar at baseline and lots of spikes is really like a key connector of like most of the chronic diseases that we're seeing today. Really? Definitely. I mean, actually nine of the 10 leading causes of death in the United States are either caused by or worsened by dysregulated blood sugar. Wow. And that is just so like, if you just go on the CDC website and look at it, it's like heart disease driven by blood sugar, Alzheimer's dementia now being called type three diabetes. It's so related to blood sugar. And then of course, type two diabetes on there, you've got chronic kidney disease, which is damage to the little vessels in the kidney from high blood sugar. And it's like all these different cancer, of course, like is very much worsened by elevated blood sugar, sugar drives cancer. So you're looking at this list and like, we've sort of artificially siloed all these diseases into these sort of like separate things. Like these are totally different. Like you'd never treat cancer, how you would treat diabetes. Like that would be crazy, but wait, if they're both were driven by Mm -hmm. elevated blood sugar, what if we could approach this by helping people with that? Mm -hmm. And so that is actually like this concept of like looking at what's connecting diseases as opposed to our more conventional system is how diseases are separate. How do we treat them separately? This is a concept called network or systems biology. And you can imagine like throw up all these diseases on a whiteboard. Right now we draw little boxes around each of them and we treat every single one of them completely differently because what we're treating is the downstream symptoms of these diseases. We're managing the diseases. We're not looking at what caused the disease and treating at that level. If you start looking that way, what causes this disease, what worsens this disease, not what the symptoms are and start treating at that level, you see very common themes amongst diseases, inflammation, insulin resistance, and high blood sugar, oxidative stress. And so you can start drawing like links between them and then start trying to treat that way. That became really like a passion and obsession to me because it's so much more efficient. It's root cause focused, it's proactive, and it's not how we're practicing today. We're definitely seeing a lot more around sort of systems and network biology emerge in the research because we now have such amazing tools to look at links between diseases like whole genome sequencing and proteomics and all this fancy stuff. But it takes 17 years or more for what's in the research to make it to clinical practice. Whoa. that has been, that has been studied. And that is like the number that kills me. I'm just like 17 years. And I'm like, I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to practice one way for 17 years and wait for this to emerge. Like like, let's, I want to practice in a root cause way. And what became so obvious and apparent to me was that focusing on blood sugar and helping Mm -hmm. Americans, helping everyone have tools and empowerment to figure out how to manage their blood sugar, keep it in a healthy and more stable uh, range through simple, you know, easy uh, techniques and, and information and tips would be the highest yield, highest leverage way I could help the most people possible as a doctor. And that's, that's, so I just shifted gears. 
This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Relationships take work, especially the most important one you can have in your life, which is your relationship with yourself. That's why I recommend BetterHelp to everybody. If you're buying clothes to wear a cute outfit or getting manicures or doing your hair, invest that money in your mental health especially after the tough couple of years we've all had. My God, and listen, BetterHelp makes it so easy. The days of driving to a therapist, getting recommendations, seeing someone, maybe not liking them, it's all over because now you can see a specialist that is anywhere and you're not limited to the people in your area. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. You don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Think about it. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp Online Therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and everything is the best listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Pia. I'm telling you, I recommend this to all of my friends and multiple family members of mine and it has changed them for the better. That is betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash Pia. Hey guys, I'm Lindsay Carter, the founder of Set Active, and this is my new podcast, Ready, Set, Spill. Finding the balance between being a mom, running a business, and still maintaining somewhat of a social life is a constant work in progress. We live in a time where social media glamorizes everything that we do, but life isn't always a perfectly curated Instagram post. And that's coming from someone who built their business on a perfectly curated Instagram feed. Nothing here is off limits, so get ready, get set, because it's time to spill. You know, it's funny. I always grew up with people telling me that I was hypoglycemic, that I was just eating shit that was spiking my blood sugar. Because <laughs> I would have like oatmeal for breakfast or something. And maybe my mom put, would put some brown sugar on, you know, or honey. And then two hours later, I would get really shaky and feel like I needed to eat something or I was going to pass out. It's so, this is so fascinating that you say that. Cause like, this is a, a lot of people that come to levels, they'll say, you know, I've always thought that I'm hypoglycemic and mm-hmm. then they put on the, the blood sugar monitor, the continuous blood sugar monitor, and they have the exact same experience you have, which is that, no, it's not that my blood sugar is just low. It's that I'm spiking it and then I crash. And what mm-hmm. happens after the crash is that you actually dip lower than where you started. And that's the mm-hmm. moment when people feel like crap, shaky, anxiety, low energy, that post-meal fatigue that's the post-meal crash. Actually, that's when people have cravings as well. Of and course, because you feel like you need to eat something or you're going to pass bring it out. Back up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So post-spike hypoglycemia, which is obviously something you can control if you're not spiking as high, mm-hmm. that is a time when people often feel sugar cravings. And so what my real goal is, is to help people get off that blood sugar roller coaster to basically go from peak valley, peak valley, peak valley, which is basically what... I, I feel like I lived the entire nineties and early two thousands doing Absolutely. that. It was like up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, constantly looking for my fix, you know, mm-hmm. constantly looking for like, is there a Hershey kiss available to like, just have that little hit to what would it look like to have more gentle rolling Hills throughout the day? And maybe a spike here or there, of course, like, you know, mm-hmm. if you have whatever a dessert or, or just something that you really love, totally. but not that it's every single day eight times a day, which 
unfortunately, is where I think a lot of people are at. And a lot of it really not intentionally. I think a lot of the foods we've actually been told are like, oh, this is a great breakfast, you know, like toast with butter or oatmeal with brown sugar and like Mm -hmm. not really balanced, not a lot of protein, fat or fiber, but you truly think it's a good breakfast option to be able to see that data and be like, okay, I probably need to modify this a little bit to like get off the the glucose spike roller coaster. Like it's pretty simple. And I think that people just, uh, at least we've had about, you know, a little over 20,000 people go through our beta program with levels. And when people get off the glucose roller coaster, they feel better. I mean, their sleep is better. Their energy is better. Their mood is better. Their skin is better. We just hear this all the time. And I'm, I'm not making scientific claims here. I'm just like, we, we share a lot of personal stories on our website Mm -hmm. and these are certainly anecdotal, but it's pretty consistent that if you stop spiking and crashing, like your day is going to be a little bit more stable. And one of the things that I, I really feel has, has helped in my life is that if I'm more stable in my glucose spikes, like my emotional state is also just say your mental is probably just happier. Yeah. And energy is more stable. And so to me, that makes it feel a little bit like a superpower. And like the key thing is like, it's not, it's not that hard and it actually isn't about deprivation. It's about modifying kind of what you're eating to just work, work better for you. And we can certainly get into some of those, you know, tips. I mean, absolutely. Cause I'm thinking about most diets, especially mine, like we were saying nineties, two thousand, early two thousand, it's a, it was cereal and then a spike, right? And then I'm crashing and then I'd have a snack and then I would crash and then I would need lunch. And then after lunch, I would have, you know, at the end after school, I'd be so tired. By the way, in between lunch and and getting out of school, I could barely keep my eyes open. Mm. Then I would get a Starbucks Frappuccino and then I could barely do my homework. And then people said, well, you're so smart, but you don't perform well in school you have ADD. So I was on 60 milligrams of Adderall a day. And then that gave me anxiety. So I, they gave me Xanax. And then I was also on Celexa because they, because my moods were spiking. And then they were putting me on something else for inflammation. <laughs> so that was <laughs> just like, and now I have PCOS where is where I really learned about blood sugar spikes because my, you know, my OB said, you know, you're, you're insulin resistant. So they just put me on Ozempic which I have to pay out of pocket for. So now I'm just so into what I'm eating. So that's why my level is on my levels reader. It's on its way ordered one. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't wait to like talk about this journey. So can you explain what levels is before we even get into um, foods that probably people don't even know are could be spiking their blood sugar? Yeah, definitely. So, so levels you know, emerge out of this, this journey that we've been talking about of really trying to wanting to empower people to understand for themselves, how their diet is affecting them. And so the way that we're, we're doing that is by using a a tool called a continuous glucose monitor. And this is like this little teeny quarter size device that you stick on the back of your arm and it measures your blood sugar 24 hours a day, seven days a week in every 15 minutes and sends to your smartphone. So, so you can cool. just, you can see like a little, like a movie of what's happening inside your body. It's, it's the first tool ever that is doing like a lab test on your body continuously. Cause there's a little the needle in the back of it, right? You barely feel a little poke. Well, fortunately, no needle stays in the body. It's actually, so a need there, there's like a little applicator and a need, a tiny little needle pushes 
a tiny filament in and it's basically like dental floss and it's just four millimeters. And when you take it out, you'll only actually get to see that filament after you take it off after two weeks, the first time, and you can touch it and it's not sharp or pokey at all. So the needle is actually just like a microsecond to push it in. Mm. You don't feel it. Um, and then that filament does the reaction under the skin and it just goes straight in and then that's sent to your smartphone. And so it's like a wearable, you know, like a sleep tracker or an activity tracker, but for an actual internal biomarker, which is super cool. And then what the levels product, so that's actually a device that has been around for over 10 years for the diabetes community. And, and it's been, it's been you. So basically once someone, you know, diabetes develops over 10, 20, 30 years, you know, it's slowly developing, you're slowly becoming more insulin resistant, um, those blood sugar spikes and Um, other factors of our diet are leading our body to not respond to the hormone that allows us to take blood sugar out of the blood and into the cells. And so over time, blood sugar rises and this process can take decades. And the fun, again, going back to the healthcare system, the really strange and funny thing about our healthcare system is that the moment you cross into that threshold of diabetes range, which may have taken 30 years to develop or your whole life, right? Mm -hmm. Then it's like, oh, here's a tool to monitor, measure, and optimize your blood sugar. Oh, and it's sure. like, where yeah. was that my whole beginning. life? Yeah. Like, why couldn't I have figured out how to eat properly before this happened? And so that's really what, what drove us to say, like, we need to shift. This is shifting the paradigm, like from reactionary sick care to proactive health empowerment. And so what we've done is we've taken this medical device, the continuous glucose monitor, brought it to a wider population of people who want to understand their diet, understand their internal biomarkers and optimize it. Um, and then the levels app, you know, you log your food, you log your exercise, it pulls in sleep data and helps you really understand where there's room to modify and tweak to really get that more stable glucose levels. And so people generally start by using it for one month. It's a one month program and these sensors stay on the arm for two weeks and then you just pull it off. It's like a sticker and you put a new one on. You're logging your food throughout that process and testing and experimenting and figuring out what works for you and figuring out what levers you can pull to keep the glucose more stable. And so it's really a fun journey. And then and then some people will continue on and do this every single month. You know, we see people in the athletic community or people who are Mm -hmm. trying to lose weight or people who just know this helps keep them accountable that use it long-term. Some people will use it maybe every six months to kind of just like re-up and do some more experimentation. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of use it when you want. And then levels is also coupled with, we have a couple other offerings. One is actually we'll send a phlebotomist to your house to do like a full panel of metabolic blood work because some people have so much trouble getting their doctor to order these tests, you know, like which is what we always hear about is people have no clue what tests to order, why their doctors aren't testing them for anything else. Exactly. And so we're like, this is also a big problem. And that lab testing can really help inform what you're seeing on your continuous glucose monitor. Mm. So one of the tests that we test for that is really never ordered in conventional practice is insulin is your fasting insulin level. And this is such an interesting test because basically the body is so fascinating as you start becoming, you know, having issues with blood sugar, metabolic dysfunction, insulin resistance, these are kind of all synonymous with each other. What's going to happen is that like, basically let's say you have blood sugar, big blood sugar spikes every day for like five years, your body is every time you have a blood sugar spike, having to release insulin to basically take that blood sugar out of the bloodstream. Mm. And over time, the body's like, oh my God, you're making us do so much work with this insulin. 
and it puts up a block and that's like an insulin block and it's called insulin resistance. And the cells actually become less sensitive to insulin. And so what your body, your body's smart. And it says, well, we got to get this blood sugar out of the bloodstream. So we're just going to produce more insulin. And so it starts producing more and more insulin to just drive that sugar into the cells. And for a long period of time, and the research suggests like anywhere between like, like up to 13 years, there will be this window where insulin is, is rising because your body is becoming insulin resistant, but it's doing a good enough job basically overcompensating that block to keep the blood sugar in a fairly normal range. So your blood sugar is not going up, but your your insulin is going up. And that's what my, my, all my tests say that my resting, that my resting levels are normal. Glucose. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. My, my glucose, because the tests I just did, I was like, that seems shocking, but I, it's clear. I'm totally insulin resistant. So this is the biggest, this is one of the biggest issues in modern oh, healthcare. Like God. if I could, like, again, like what, if I could be bizarre and like change one thing, it would be that every single person from childhood gets a fasting insulin test with their fasting glucose, because we're missing mm. all those people early who are clearly on the path to diabetes, insulin resistance, and all the associated diseases. Like I mentioned, nine of the 10 leading causes of death in the U S are related to this issue. We're missing all these people. And, you know, it's funny, like even people who have heart attacks, like half of the people who have a heart attack are going to have normal cholesterol, but most of them will have, uh, elevated insulin levels. And yet we don't check that. And that's actually information that I've, there's an amazing cardiothoracic surgeon, Dr. Philip Avadia, who wrote a book called stay off my operating table. And he talks of, he checks insulin in all of his patients. And he has found that like yeah, cholesterol is not a great, even though we all think like if our LDL is high, it's a problem because yeah. we have a heart attack. And there's some truth to that, but half of people who have the heart attack don't have that high LDL. But from his experience, most are insulin resistant, but we don't check that. And the crazy thing is it's reversible and it's not that it's hard reversible. To reverse. Yeah. <laughs> and it's easy to reverse. Oh my so, God. Well, most women die of heart disease, right? Isn't that the number one killer of women? Oh, I'm not sure it's, it might be the number one, but it's a huge one. And you know, it's so sad. And so circling back, you know, this is why we're offering this test now. So literally just like people for $179, they can have a phlebotomist come to their house, order these tests, $179 for the labs and the, and the draw, you know, I wish I had invested in this company. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm so glad you're in the community now, Um, what that can do though, for understanding your continuous glucose monitoring results is like an example would be, so here's one example. Like, let's say you and I both had a fasting glucose blood sugar of 80, like, which is the doctor would be like, Oh my God, you're perfect. This is amazing. But let's say I'm really insulin resistant. My insulin level could be 35, my fasting insulin level to keep that blood sugar at 80 and yours could be two. Uh, well, oh. my, I am on the path towards having a problem. I'm probably going to have the PCOS and I'm going to have the, you know, it makes it impossible to lose weight. I've been for, I'm 40 pounds overweight. It is impo- my whole life. I've fluctuated by 40 to 50 pounds. Yeah. And like insulin could have something to do with that. You know, it's like, cause it, one of the things, the crazy thing about insulin, because it's a hormone that's telling your body blood sugars around we need to take into the cell and use it for energy because the two main things we can use for energy in the body are glucose or fat. So insulin is this amazing little molecule that says 
there's tons of glucose around. We don't need to use fat for energy. Mm -hmm. So it's a signal to the body to not burn fat. And so for anyone who is trying to lose weight or is struggling with stubborn weight, I would be like, get a fasting insulin test. Like if it's high, that's a signal saying your body, telling your body like that to not, to not burn fat because it's a signal saying we've got all this glucose around. So dropping insulin can be a way to unlock that. And one of the ways you can do that is by keeping glucose more stable of, you know, getting the spikes down. There's a lot of other complexity to it. It's not, I don't, I definitely don't want to leave people with the impression that the only thing that leads to insulin resistance or reverses insulin resistance is getting the blood sugar spikes down. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot to it. Of course, everybody is different. And, and I'm sure, and I love to even talk about what foods, like, I'm sure there are foods that are so specific to certain people, but are there any, like any foods you could say that you've seen are pretty common in spiking blood sugar that you wouldn't assume would do so? Well, I'd say just generally big picture, the ones that are going to spike in a lot of people are essentially like refined grains and sugars. Right. So, and, and refined sugars, like there's 50 names for refined sugars. And so it's like, it's, it's, and food companies do that intentionally, you know? And so it's like added sugars and refined ultra refined, you know, carbohydrates. Like those are things that are going to spike a lot of people. Mm -hmm. That one's kind of obvious, but you know, one that's really interesting too, is like, I think refined fruit products too. So like even like fruit juice and things like that, that spikes people a lot of people just like through. And the the thing about juice that's really interesting is that it's it's high fructose, you know, juice form of, of, of fruit. And fructose is a fascinating molecule because it actually doesn't spike insulin. It doesn't need insulin to get up into cells, but it directly drives insulin resistance through a totally different mechanism. So even though it doesn't spike insulin, it creates, it essentially is converted to fat in cells, which then blocks, causes insulin resistance. And so getting rid of any refined fructose is like a definite big thing. Fruit is not refined fructose. Fructose, yeah. fruit is got fiber. I was going to say fiber. You get rid of fiber. the fiber when you juice fruit. It, and it's so crazy to me. Just yeah. eat an apple. Totally. <laughs> eat it. Eat it. Exactly. Eat an apple. Your body, it, you're going to consume it slower. It's got less fructose. It's unrefined. It's that overwhelming load that you get from juice. And then of course, any product with high fructose corn syrup, which is a huge amount of our packaged foods now, that's going to kind of overwhelm the liver uh, with the fructose, convert it to fat. And then essentially create this, this insulin resistance. And so those are things that I just, if someone's thinking about this type of topic, wants to get their glucose spikes down, it's like limit the refined carbohydrates, like flours and things, you know, wheat flour, limit the refined sugars and added sugars that come in products, which unfortunately is like most of our packaged foods. And then just get rid of the liquid sugar in either high fructose corn syrups. That would be like sodas or, or fruit juice. And that's a big part of the way there, but that's kind of obvious stuff. I think some of the like less obvious stuff, Mm -hmm. I mean, one, a huge one is oatmeal, which we already talked about. It's one of our biggest spikers in the data set. I will say it kind of represents what I would say is a bigger category, which is naked carbs. Like a carb, if the meal is essentially dominant with carbs and isn't balanced, that's generally going to be a bigger spiker. So what I like to do now is like never eat a naked carb, meaning I add protein, fat, and fiber Mm -hmm. to my carbs. If I'm eating a sweet potato these days, 
you know, because that's a very carb heavy food, but it's a very healthy food with so many beautiful phytonutrients in it and everything. I'm going to drizzle it with tahini, which is going to be a little bit of fat. And actually tahini has a lot of fiber. I'm going to put some chia seeds on it for a little bit more fat and fiber, um, and probably eat it with some protein beforehand, like some, you know, some tofu or some chicken or or smoked salmon or something like that. And that's really going to balance out that carb load similar with oatmeal. You know, one interesting thing we've seen is that the more refined the oatmeal, the more it's going to spike people. So the rolled oats, you know, like the more like Quaker oats, huge, huge spiker. Actually, I think my biggest spike ever was two packets of Quaker oats with nothing on them. I, and I ate think, oatmeal for years. I know. Cause breakfast. we think it's a heart healthy breakfast. Like, mm-hmm. but this is what's interesting is that those Quaker oats tend to spike people a lot. Steel cut oats, spiky people less, and then groats, which is like the most like chewy, like Odie, yeah. you know, like are, are, are much better for people. So the less refined, the better. And then of course, adding walnuts, flax seeds, chia seeds, not adding sugar, adding maybe a little bit of low glycemic fruit, like some blueberries like that people can do, can do well. But like the biggest thing I would say is like, stop the rolled oats, at least go to steel cut oats and maybe try groats. And then of course, don't pair it with a glass of OJ, a piece of toast and brown sugar, which funnily enough, if you go on the Quaker Oats website, is that is literally meal? the breakfast they show. And I'm like, oh I can see God. it in my head. Right. That was like commercials growing up. It was like a giant glass of orange juice and a piece of damn toast next to your oatmeal. I and mean, some like a little bowl of brown sugar, just uh-huh. like to sprinkle on top. Like, oh my God. so, so that's a big one. We also see, um, Sushi is a big spiker, um, which is like devastating to me. But um, so that some interesting things we've seen in the data set is that like sushi alone tends to spike people quite a bit. When people log sashimi, of course, they spike less because that's mm-hmm. going to be mostly fish without the rice. Um, and then some people, I, I have started making cauliflower rice sushi, which may sound so like sacrilegious to people. But- I've thought about it. So I'm right there with you because every time I eat sushi, I feel horrible, but it's my favorite. So good. And, but I have to say, I'll send you my cauliflower rice sushi recipe. It's so easy. And I'm now like totally addicted to it. I love it. Mm-hmm. And I'll still, I will still have sushi every once in a while, but I will do sushi a little bit differently. So what I'll usually do is I'll make sure I have some snacks before sushi. Like I might have some flax crackers with some like cashew dip. So a lot of fiber and fat as like an appetizer or whatever. I'll make sure to like have a lot of protein in the sushi. So like the the fish and avocado and all that stuff. And then maybe take a 20 minute walk after sushi, like after dinner, That's just get up I and take hearing. a stroll. It's just yeah. walking it off. Exactly. It makes a massive difference. We actually did an experiment. I mean, first of all, there's tons of literature that shows like just a simple short walk after a meal has a totally statistically significant uh, reduction in your insulin and glucose. So that's wow. awesome. It's also can be like a lovely, like little post-dinner routine. Like before you do the dishes, just like go take an evening stroll, like with the fam. Mm-hmm. And, um, if I can't, sometimes I'll just like blast some music while I'm doing dishes and try and be like a little bit more active, like dance around, like do some squat, just like move. And, and yeah. the key thing is like, you know, even if you're just walking, like you're still activating these like major muscle groups in the body, your quads, your hamstrings, and these mm-hmm. muscles need sugar to, for energy. And so you can, I, in my head, I just imagine it as this like amazing glucose sink. That's just like pulling it out of the bloodstream. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm not exerting myself that much, it's still, it's still pulling it. And so, you know, 20, 30 minute walk does a lot. And we did this experiment at levels where we 
we sent a bunch of people, two cans of Coke, 12 ounce cans of Coke. And we said, drink one on one morning it was totally voluntary. And, you know, was not actually that pleasant. Cause like, I haven't had a Coke in like probably since high school. And yeah, like, yeah. it made me feel like crap. Like it was, yeah. And so I, we drank the Coke and then the next morning, ideally with like very similar sleep conditions and everything, like drink the Coke and take a walk right afterwards. And just with our small little, you know, non-scientific study, there was a over 30% reduction in the glucose peak. I think the average glucose peak for the, without a walk was 162 milligrams per deciliter, which is like a very big spike. And then with the walk afterwards, it was 132 milligrams per deciliter, which is significantly lower. So that's a definite takeaway. If you, if you're, if you are having that food you love that, you know, spikes you, that's fine but maybe take a little walk afterwards or do some squats or whatever. And it's like easy enough. Yeah. Our next partner is a product that you all know that I use every day. I started taking athletic greens years ago because I just wanted a baseline for good health. There are days where I can't get all of my vegetables in. And sometimes I don't feel like taking a handful of vitamins and That's where Athletic Greens comes in because you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and my favorite adaptogens that help you start your day right. The special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, all the things. Listen, it's lifestyle friendly. So whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, you are good to go. It contains less than one gram of sugar. So there's no GMOs. There's no nasty chemicals or artificial anything. And it still tastes good. I just add a scoop to water in the morning, mix it up, check it down. It's one thing with all the best things. Athletic Greens uses the best of the best product based on the latest science with constant product iterations and third-party testing. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin and it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. On top of it, it's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. It costs you less than $3 a day. Athletic Greens has over 7,005 star reviews. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash best four. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash best in the number four to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebills. Because companies make subscriptions so hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Like me, for example, I found out that I was still subscribing to two different gyms that I haven't been to in years and a weird music website I forgot about. And then literally this week, someone set up a subscription that wasn't mine and I realized that I had fraud on my card. I love Truebill. Truebill has over 2 million users and has helped them save over $100 million. By the way, it helps you also categorize all your charges. So I use it really to also like monitor my spending. Don't fall for subscription scams. 
start canceling today at truebill.com slash Pia. Go right now, truebill.com slash Pia. It can save you thousands a year. It can help you get rid of all those subscriptions. It can help you monitor your spending. I love that I get a pop-up reminding me also, hey, you still subscribe to this or I'll get a pop-up saying, hey, we can save you money on this subscription and it will negotiate for you. I'm telling you, truebill.com slash Pia. Well, I mean, it sounds if you, yeah, if you eat a bunch of food, taking a little bit of a walk, is not like a hard ask. I cannot thank you enough for all of this. I feel so informed and I, and I have to tell everybody who's listening to this, the levels website has so much information. And it's funny you brought up Tahiti because it was from the level site. And I think maybe your Instagram where I learned how, what a wonderful thing Tahiti is. And I always keep it here now and I add it to food. I put it on my salads or, you know, I eat it with some flax crackers. Like it's, it's, it's incredible when you think about when you know foods that, that you love, what they're, the positive things they're doing for your body. It makes more, you know, it makes me more inclined to eat those things. And so thank you for providing such incredibly helpful information. It's just so powerful. I think you should be just so proud of yourself. I mean, Aww. what an incredible thing that you're doing. Well, thank it's you. Emotional. You'll be what you're changing. You're changing people's lives. Well, I appreciate that so much. And yeah, I think, and I'm just thinking about your olive oil, like drizzling <laughs> that on lots of stuff, like such a, a good way to get a little extra, super healthy fat. And so, mm-hmm. but, um, no, I mean, your story is so inspiring, like, especially the PCOS stuff, like that is an area where I just, you know, I feel like women, women need so much better tools and information and they're not getting it from their OBGYNs. And I just Mm -hmm. think we're about to see like a revolution in, in that type in PCOS and fertility care. That's going to, that is going to be very much like involve the blood sugar conversation. And that, that particular piece of things very much drives me like how, how this type of tool can really uniquely affect women's health, because it's just, it's literally like you have to do your own digging to get anything except for, yeah, the conventional. I'm thinking about infertility right now. I mean, and I, I saw something that you post the other day where you said like, what is it like 70% of Americans are, are on a diet or trying to lose weight. I mean, half of America, over half of Americans are and, and these are just simple tools that you're giving people. Where can people find you? Um, for Levels, you can find us at Levels on Instagram, Twitter, um, and then we're levelshealth.com. We're actually still in a closed beta program. So if you want to sign up for trying the product, you can put your email address in there and we will hopefully be able to, you know, get, get you access very soon. And our blog, like you mentioned is levelshealth.com slash blog. And there's just, there's really high quality. We put a huge investment into that. And so if there's anything in here that was interesting to anyone listening, like that's the place to go for lots more info. And then I'm personally at um, Dr. Casey's Kitchen, Dr. Casey's Kitchen on Instagram. And so yeah, that's where you can find us. Thank you so much, Casey. Thank you, Pia. Okay. Bye. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes this week's episode of Everything is the Best. I hope you enjoyed it. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. Maybe leave a comment. But remember, shitty comments are for shitty people. Go ahead and follow me on Instagram at Pia Barangini. And I hope you have a fabulous, fabulous rest of your day. Love you. Ciao.